You may grab a seat if you're here with us. And those of you who are watching online, go ahead and grab a seat as well or keep sitting down. Uh, we're so thankful to be able to be with uh, each and every one of you, to be able to worship God, um, to be able to sing his praises wherever we are. So uh, thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you for being a part of our service today. We are uh, continuing our series through uh, the, the story of, or the seven letters um, in Revelation uh, to the churches from Jesus. And before we get started, I just want to uh, ask the question, have you ever meant to make a decision or ever had something where you meant to do well, but there were unintended consequences to it? Where you thought to yourself, okay, I know I'm trying to do the best that I can with a choice or the best that we can with something, but it ended up working out a way that you did not foresee, sometimes for good, other times not so good. Uh, right as COVID hit, right at the very beginning, um, Steph and I were um, in our family room and we had noticed something about one of our shelves. Now to give some background, we moved into our house in Escondido uh, in April of 2019. So it was, um, we'd been there for at this point, um, 11 months. So coming up right about a year. And we had some friends come over, help us out. I'm not very handy uh, when it comes to um, doing, being able to do things around the house. Uh, the best I can do is sometimes Ikea furniture, but even that is hit or miss. And so we had a friend help us by hanging some shelves. And what he did is he took um, a pilot hole and he drilled a pilot hole into our wall because we wanted these floating shelves a very specific way. And then once it got all lined up, once it was level, then he ended up putting in the screws that would affix the shelf to the wall. Now, it looked great, very pleased with it. Um, it, was, it was wonderful. But again, 11 months later, all of a sudden, we noticed uh, behind the shelf, uh, we had a bookshelf underneath it, and there were some black spots against the wall. And we'd look back, feel the wall, and there was water damage. And what you could see, we have a photo here, is that if you could tell, there's an entire like asymmetrical bell curve of, uh, of water damage that was through the wall. And what happened was, is that you can see right here, when he did the pilot holes, what was intended to be allowing us to make sure the shelf was level ended up piercing right through the wall, went straight into our water pipe that went from the bathroom upstairs. And over the span of 11 months, it started to create water damage and mold. And so um, that was, I'm not joking, that was the third um, water-related issue we had within the first, uh, you know, a year of living there. And so I just, we just all think in our family, we just think that water hates us. And so we're just always keeping an eye out for it. Um, but I bring it up because it's this idea that well-intentioned choices have unintended consequences. Well-intentioned choices, something that we mean to do well, that the intention was good. The intention was to make sure that, you know, the, the, the shelf was how it should be, that our room would look the way we wanted it to. Well-intentioned choices can sometimes have, though, unintended consequences. And, and we're living this right now. You know, yeah, we could talk about the water damage within our family room and it got fixed and it was restored and everything's fine. But we are all experiencing these, these consequences of what our world looks like in this season. We're all experiencing what it looks like to, you know, have friends or to have ourselves who have lost jobs, who've been furloughed from work, to recognize what distance learning looks like, to see what, what, how this affects our kids all the way from preschool all the way 
through our grown kids in college and, and how school is different, community is different, how we're feeling isolation differently, how we are all experiencing through Zoom, the closest, or video conferencing, the closest approximation to community that we can do for many of us in some circumstances, but it's not the same, it's not enough, and the intention is good because the intention is to try to curb or to, or to lower the dynamic of, of how much COVID has been impacting. In fact, the reason that we're still meeting outdoors is because we want to look and see, we're keeping an eye on our numbers here in our county, and we're right at the cusp of going back into tier one or the purple tier, which would mean that indoor dining wouldn't be able to happen anymore, that indoor services wouldn't even be an option for anybody. So we're at the cusp of that. We're waiting until we get lower into, um, lower into tier red, closer to orange before we meet indoors. But with that said, we are all experiencing unintended consequences. The fact that we're not able to see loved ones, if people go to the hospital, we're not able to spend time with them. And there's so many different things that are just unforeseen by us, unintended by us, but yet we still need to navigate how to go through that, work through that, still honor God in the midst of all these things. And so I'm gonna ask that you join me in a word of prayer because as we dive into the scripture today, we're gonna notice that even when there are well-intentioned choices and sometimes choices that aren't well-intentioned, sometimes choices that we become lazy or we don't do the right thing, that those have real, valid, unintended, but impactful consequences for our lives and the lives of those we care about. So will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that uh, you are with us Lord, we thank you that you know us, you formed us, you love us. We thank you for the fact that you now are with us, wherever we are, that you are in our midst. God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us this weekend. And God, I pray that you would help us to acknowledge and to see how our choice, how we've been affected by the choices of others and how our choices can affect others as well. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in your notes, if you're following along, we have a, a header that's talking about choices and consequences, choices and consequences. And as we're getting ready, we're gonna be in Revelation chapter two, verses 18 through 29. So we're closing up the uh, chapter two. This is the fourth church out of the seven churches that Jesus talks to and, and has a letter to. If you've not been with us, the, the kind of the quick story here is that John, who was one of Jesus's best friends on earth, um, he was in the inner circle. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. John is on the island of Patmos and he's receiving a vision that is Jesus speaking to these real historical churches in uh, kind of ancient, excuse me, modern day Turkey, that area. And so one of the churches that he talks to is Thyatira, who's the church that we're looking at today. And we, we're taking these messages and looking at how they, they're historical churches that Jesus had a message for. So we, as a local church, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church living out the gospel is the hope of the world. And so with that in mind, what message does Jesus have for us as a local church, for us as his people, for us as we try to navigate this world that we're in. But inside your notes, I think we're aware of this, that consequences don't have to be a bad thing. Consequences aren't always bad. 
Let's read uh, Revelation 2, verse 18 and 19. Revelation 2 starts like this, or verse 18, excuse me, starts like this. Dear children, oh, nope, sorry, that's 1 John 2. See, the wind started messing up, I apologize. Um, Revelations 2, verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Let's stop right there. The description of Jesus is vitally important for us as we study this this weekend because this description of Jesus reminds us that Jesus is not some meek and mild person. That Jesus is not what we picture in the movies when it's like the, the perfect blue eyes and the perfectly straightened brown hair and we think, oh, he's so... He's so calm and he's so mild. And maybe he speaks barely audibly above a whisper because it's supposed to show us his love. But yet God is fully love. Jesus is fully God. God is love. But yet there's also holiness and justice and judgment. That his eyes are like a blazing fire, not meek and mild. His eyes are a blazing fire. And he sees right through our actions He sees into our intentions. He sees who we are when others are around. He sees who we are when we're by ourselves. He sees us so clearly and his feet are like burnished bronze. We talked about this a few weeks ago that if we see something in the scripture that we don't always understand the connection to, it's it's helpful for us to take a look back at when it was mentioned previously. And I know um, our high school students specifically are studying some of the dynamics of the tabernacle or have been. And one of the things we talk about as you look at the tabernacle is that bronze was specifically used in the different elements that had to do with the sacrifice of judgment, of things like that. So as we look at that, his eyes are like fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. It's, it's showing us that there, is, there are real consequences when we sin. There are real consequences when we fall away from the Lord. There are real consequences and we can't play them off because we think Jesus is cute and cuddly. That Jesus is real, that Jesus is God. He's fully, he's love, but he's also justice and holy and set apart. And so he introduced himself in a way that does not remind us of cute and cuddly. It reminds us of powerful and just. Then verse 19, I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. See, not all consequences are bad. He's saying, because of your relationship with me, because of your love and your faith, you have good service. You have a perseverance. You are able to do more good deeds than when you started following me. That if we were to take that and just stop right there, that sounds like such an incredible church. That out of their love and their faith and their perseverance, that all of a sudden they are doing such good things for God that they're, cer- they're certainly growing continuously, that they're certainly being changed by God to change our world. They're certainly being able to grow in discipleship. They're certainly able to become more like Christ. These are good consequences of their love, of their faith, of their perseverance. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing all the time because consequence the word literally just comes from con which is like a prefix means like with and then sequence which means the following or the order so it's basically like a consequence is anything 
that comes out of a specific sequence or an order, this is how it comes. So a consequence can be a good thing. If you watch what you eat and you get good exercise, you'll become healthier. That's a consequence, a good one. That if you are studying in school and you're taking the time to study to do your homework, you're going to learn the material and you'll do well in class. That's a consequence. That's a good one. That if you spend quality time with your spouse, you get to know them well and listen to them and love them well. Your marriage or your relationship, your marriage will be stronger. That's a consequence. That's a good one. If you spend time with your kids and you put away your phones and you fix your eyes on their faces and not on Facebook, if you have this time to sit with them and to be with them, you will build relationships that will last far beyond when they're out of the house because even though they may be out of the house, they'll still want you in their lives. That's a consequence. That's a good one. And if you spend time with God through his word, through prayer, if you listen to what he says and you obey what he calls us to do, if we are obediently following him and the Holy Spirit who's dwelling within us makes us more like Christ, that's a consequence. And it is a good one. So not all consequences have to be bad. But the connotation that we use that word with is that it often is. So consequences aren't always bad. And we see that again because Jesus says, I see your good works. They're improving. You're doing more than you did at first. Because of your love, your faith, your perseverance. Those are consequences. Those are good ones. But, and, and we see how, or if you compared Thyatira to Ephesus, which is our first week, in our first week, we talked about the idea that doing the right thing without love is the wrong thing and recognizing that it can't just be about our works, that there needs to be love, that the Ephesian church had lost their first love as Revelation 2, 4 says. But what does Jesus say? He says, but even though you've lost your first love, you hold firm against false teaching. You do not let false teaching enter your church. Thyatira is the opposite of that. Thyatira, they, they, they are doing good things but they're letting false teaching ravage their church. Let's continue on because in your notes, consequences aren't always bad, but sometimes others pay the price for our choices. When you look at consequences and choices, sometimes other people pay the price for our choices. Verse 20 through 23. Nevertheless, Jesus says to the Thyatira church, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual morality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering or a sickbed. And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead that all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Jesus is not playing around. Jesus is not cute and cuddly here. He's not meek and mild. He is love, and out of that great love that he has for his people, he needs to be able to hold people to account. That we know kids, that if their, their parents kind of let them run rampant, and it's, oh, I love them, I don't want to stop them, I don't want to discipline them. But we all know that what we think is loving by not disciplining, what we think is loving 
is actually not love. There needs to be a disciplined love, a tough love, a truth, a love that is rooted in truth. And so let's, let's take a few moments because you'll notice here, verse 20 is, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. So we see that the church's problem or the church's, what Jesus has against it is that it's directed to the church is that you tolerate false teaching. You tolerate this woman to be able to run rabbits and, and, and to cause a, a mess, theologically speaking, in your church. See, if our choices are selfish or evil, like Jezebel's, then others might pay for that. If any of you have seen, uh, I know there's roughly 72 different Spider-Man movies, um, but um, in the 2002 version, the first one with Tobey Maguire, um, there was... Uh, it's a scene in which we see how, how Spider-Man, you know, he gets his powers and he uses it to wrestle and tries to make money. And, and then all of a sudden, if you remember this scene, there's, there's a time in which a crook comes in, robs the wrestling company, the organizer um, that's, that Peter Parker, that he um, is wrestling for and working for. And he lets the guy go. And the guy's, the guy's like, why didn't you stop him? You have all the power. You could stop him. And he says, it's not my problem. It was selfish, right? And then what happens? If you know the story, he ends up leaving and he finds out that that same crook that was the one that robbed that wrestling uh, manager is the one who then killed Peter Parker's Uncle Ben, the father figure in his life. And he realized that his selfishness, oh, that doesn't impact me, ended up impacting him and others around him far more deeply than he could have even imagined. That if our choices, how do we know that this is a choice that is selfish or evil? That the people are paying the price for Jezebel's teaching. That her teaching is something that is causing this. Now, Jezebel, we may have heard that name before. Um, and it would, it would be something specific in uh, the Israelite context that we may not necessarily catch on to here. So coming to uh, an American context, if we were to say something like, Hey, we're, we're, this name represents something. We say, hey, we, we really need your John Hancock. What does that mean? It means that we're looking for your signature, right? So it's, oh, it's a Jan Han- Hancock. That's what it represents. Hey, you know what? We were friends, but in American context, we say, hey, we're friends, but now you're like a Benedict Arnold. What does that mean? Betrayal, right? Someone who, who spies and who betrays our confidence, See, we have certain names in our American context that we know what it means. In this context, Jezebel was someone that from 1 Kings 16 through 18, we see that she was the queen of Israel. She was Ahab's wife. She was incredibly um, idolatrous. She led the Israelite people to Baal worship. If you look at 1 Kings 18, it's an incredible story of Mount Carmel where there's the 450 Baal prophets and, and Elijah is trying to convince them, you know, hey, we're each going to be able to see who the real God is, either Baal, who's the thunder God, lightning, or Yahweh, the one true God. And he mocks them. And after a while, they realize that the Baal is an idol. He's not real. And that after pouring water upon water and, and bucket upon bucket on the fire, that God's fire, the fire fell down. God was shown. The people started worshiping God. And the Baal prophets were killed and slain. But in that story, it ends really well for Elijah, except for the fact that Jezebel, this woman, wants him dead. 
And the same prophet who had seen God do incredible things on the mountain is the same prophet who runs from Jezebel for fear of his life. So Jezebel is someone that would be reminiscent automatically. Benedict Arnold, betrayal. John Hancock, signature. Jezebel, idolatrous woman who was leading people astray through her teaching. So she says here, or verse 20, Jesus says, I have this against you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, but by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual morality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So people may pay the price for our choices when we're selfish or evil like Jezebel. But people also pay the price for our, um, for our choices when, if we're afraid of conflict. Because the church at Thyatira knew what she was teaching was wrong. And if they were like the Ephesus church, they would have gone and told her, you are not welcome here. We need to separate you because of the damage that you are doing to our church. But oftentimes if we have conflict, we tend to hide it. We tend to tuck it away. We tend to hold on and just hope that it gets better. And when that happens, if we're afraid of conflict, the church was afraid to address Jezebel and cast her aside and saying, you have no right, you cannot speak here, you cannot influence our church towards immorality and idolatry. If we're afraid of conflict, others may pay. Now, I know we talked about Spider-Man, but um, some of you may have watched uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan. And in Saving Private Ryan uh, from 1998, and it's, uh, it's a movie that, it's a great movie, but you know, there's obviously some really difficult scenes. It's a movie about World War II and D-Day and, and a bunch of really difficult parts. But one of the parts that stands out the most, for me personally, is a moment in which one of the soldiers, who's a translator, has a gun, and upstairs, one of his fellow soldiers is fighting with a German soldier. And he's walking, he can hear them fighting. He has a gun in his hand, and he's walking up the stairs, and he starts to hear the wrestling, he starts to hear it, and the German soldier, like the, the American soldier gets the upper hand, and the German soldier gets the upper hand, and the German soldier ends up slowly killing the American soldier. And then the, the German soldier walks out, and he sees another American soldier with the gun standing there, and he's, a moment, he has a, a moment of fear, because he thinks, okay, I'm, I'm going to die. But what happens is the American translator just, he kind of shrinks in the corner, puts his hands up, and is trying to say, you know, I'm not, I won't do anything. Don't hurt me. The German soldier walks out and is freed. And when you watch that, you get so angry that this person who had the power, had the ability, was in the right place at the right time, didn't do what was right. For many of us, we might have the power to speak into God, God's word into people. We might have the ability to be able to do that. We might be in the right place at the right time, and sometimes we still don't do what's right. And other people pay the consequences, pay the price, excuse me, for our choices. That the church is held accountable for Jezebel's teaching. Jesus says, I will hold you accountable for your deeds but all the suffering is listed. It's not in the second person of you. It's talking about the people who follow the false teaching, 
the people who are uh, commit adultery with her or, or in this case are believing that and following that, that idolatry and adultery are very synonymous within the Old Testament. That this idea that because they didn't call Jezebel out, because they didn't stop her, they being the church, other people in the church suffered. Afraid of conflict, afraid of bringing it up, afraid of standing up and standing out. Other people suffered. And Jesus, again, the people around suffered. And he says, church, I'm holding you responsible for that. Sometimes others pay the price for our choices. But the opposite is also true. That sometimes we pay the prices for others' choices. That other people make decisions that are outside of our control and it trickles down to us in a way that is incredibly difficult. You know, there's a story in uh, the Great Plague of London from 1665 to 1666. And in this, during this plague, there was a set of unintended consequences that they weren't sure what was creating it, but it was, you know, there's boils and, and people were dying. And it got to the point where in the July of 1665 that over a thousand people per week were dying in the city of London specifically. And the rumor had it was that what was causing this disease were the dogs and the cats that were strays and that were going about the city. So the Lord Mayor of London ends up making a de decree that all dogs and all cats would be, should be killed in order to stop the spread. That there were 40,000 dogs, approximately numbers, but 40,000 dogs, 200,000 cats that were slain and were killed so that the disease would stop spreading. But it wasn't until later that they found out that it wasn't the cats and the dogs that were the spreaders of the Great Plague. It was the rats. And without the dogs and the cats to be able to prey upon the rats, the disease only spread more and faster and had an incredibly... Um, and then by that, by that fall, it was 7,000 people a week that were dying. The people that were there were paying the price for other people's choices. They didn't get to choose what the result was. They didn't get to choose the process, but they still paid the price. Verse 24 through 25, Jesus is now talking to the people, the remnant, who are still standing firm. He says, now I say to you, to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you, who do not hold to Jezebel's teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. That there are still a remnant of people in Thyatira, just as there were a remnant of people in the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19 with the, with the Jezebel that was there, Elijah goes to the mountain and he says, Lord, I'm the only, I'm the only excuse me, prophet left. Everyone else has bowed down to, to Baal. And he says, no, there are, seven, there, there are a thousand people that I've set aside for you. Other prophets who have not bowed down to Baal. In the same way, there's a remnant here in Thyatira, those who have not held to false teachings, who are pushing away the false teaching and not allowing that to dictate how they live. We talked last week that what we let in determines what we, what we live out. And how there were people who were saying, no, I'm not going to let that in. I'm not going to let false teaching affect the way that I live. I'm not going to allow that to lead me to idolatry or to sexual morality. I'm going to stand firm. and I'm going to hold fast to who God is. And to those people, Jesus says, listen, you are paying or you are experiencing the consequences of someone else's choice. 
that because there's rampant false theology around you, false teaching, you are in the midst of it. He says, I'm not going to put any other burden on you. Hold fast. Hold on. That, as we mentioned earlier, for those of us as we're experiencing this, this our own, our pandemic here, parents who had to change their, who've lost jobs, who've been furloughed, who are figuring out what distance learning looks like, teachers who've been have things completely turned upside down of learning how to do something one way and then have that being completely changed and have to learn a brand new way. I empathize with teachers because the same way that's been with teachers and classes is much of what we're learning as pastors in churches, how to do something we've done one way for so long completely differently. Parents learning, maybe needing to make choices to not work because they need to stay home with their kids. And for those of us who are in that place, and all of us can relate to some way or another. And those of us in that place, Jesus says, listen, hold fast to what you know. Hold fast to, in this case, Jesus saying him. Hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Hold fast to true teaching, not false teaching. Hold fast to your relationship with God. Because trying to walk through a pandemic or a tragedy without the gospel, without the hope, is so difficult. It's hard enough with the hope that we have because it doesn't mean things are going to be easy. He says, hold on, hold fast. You're experiencing the consequences of others' choices, but hold on so you can make it through, so you can endure, you can persevere, you can be part of the remnant that still shines as a light in a dark place, as a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So those are just a few brief points that we want to talk about when it comes to Thyatira. But there's one very important one. We're going to circle back to verse 21 here. Because we've talked about choices and consequences. Consequences aren't always bad. That sometimes we pay the prices for others' choices. Sometimes they pay the price for our choices. But there's a choice that has the biggest consequence for all of us. All of us who are watching, all of us who are here, all of us who are listening to my voice, whenever you're watching it, there's a choice that has the biggest consequence. And I want to point us back to verse 21 to bring it up. Jezebel, who is already leading people astray, who is already a false prophetess, who is already being uh, just ravaging the church, even she received an opportunity to repent. Even she was someone that could have repented, could have made, as we've talked about, that complete U-turn and to go back to following God or to start following God fully and wholeheartedly. Even she had an opportunity, and Jesus gave her time to do it. But she, she did not do it. She refused to. See, we all have a repent-by date. You see an expiration date, right? We all have a repent-by date. But because we don't know when ours is, we must make the choice to repent and to follow Jesus. We must make that choice immediately and frequently. We don't know when our time is coming. So we make it immediately. We make it now. We make it today if that's our choice today. But we make it frequently because that means there are constant times throughout our lives when we could start to go the wrong way and we make a 
Consistent, frequent, no, 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 I repent and I want to go back to God. It's not a one-time only thing. It's a constant life-living thing in which we pursue God. We turn away from idols and from worthless things. We fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, and we confess, and we know that he is righteous and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to make us whole, to make us clean, to set us free. We don't know when that date is for us. So we must make the choice immediately and frequently. When we were going to have a, a lease, um, we wanted to, you know, as everyone does, we had to make some sort of, you know, clever announcement on, on social media. And so uh, we ended up using this, this theme of expiration date, but instead of expiration date, it's expectation date because we're clever. Um, and what it says here is it just says some expiration dates are better than others, but it talks about a Bed Bath & Beyond coupon, which... It says, when does it expire? Never. Because even though it says that, they've always let you do it, right? So you can just bring like 37 of them and they're like, here you go. That's great. So Beth, Bad, Bath, Bed, Bath & Beyond coupon expires never. Milk expires in a week. Uh, medicine expires in a couple of months. And then Shaylin's only child status was going to expire July 2015. So it was our way of saying, hey, listen, like w there's a date coming that things are going to change and her, her only daughter status or only child status was going to expire. Again, we don't know there's an expiration date, there's an expectation date, that we all have a repent by date, that we've been given time. And if we miss that, then we don't get the expectation of a right relationship with God in eternity in heaven with him. Our opportunity to come to know him experiences expiration. On this earth, we have the opportunity to repent and to make that choice immediately and frequently so that we could spend eternity with Jesus. All this to say, what can you do? You know, we see here the, the results that can happen of when we come to know him better and when we hold on fast to him. He says, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like poverty. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the spirit says to the teacher, excuse me, to the churches. That if we have repented, we do that immediately, frequently. We receive authority. We get to be able to follow him, live in eternity with him. We get the morning star, which we see in Revelation 22, verse 16, is referring to Jesus himself. We get him as our Lord, our Savior, our friend, and someone we do life with. So what can you do, though, when you are in a place where you are experiencing the ramifications of other people's choices? What can you do when you've made choices that you know are impacting people? One, hold on to God. His verse, again, the fact that he, Jesus is our morning star, hold on to him because we receive him. And then hold fast to his word. Don't give in to false teaching, but hold fast. 2 Peter 3.17 says it this way. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Hold fast to what we do know because as we learned last week, what we let in determines what we live out. 
like we learned last week, the only way to tell a counterfeit is by being so familiar with the real that you just know it feels different. The way for us to hold on to God and to hold fast to his word allows us to know that he is real. To hold tightly during the storms, to hold tightly during pandemics, to hold tightly during tribulations, to hold tightly when we're paying a price for something that we did not do. And to be able to hold fast to who he is. Because, yes, well-intentioned choices have unintended consequences. But everyone, we cannot control our circumstances. Because if we did, the world would look much different. And honestly, we would think we're making the right choice, but there would be unintended consequences for us trying to rule the world. Like, have you ever seen Bruce Almighty? And he just says, like, say yes to all when he's God. Just say yes to all the prayers and things go into chaos, right? We cannot control our circumstances, but we can control our responses and our choices. We don't choose to have a pandemic. We can choose how we respond. We can choose how we live. We don't choose to lose our jobs. We can choose how we respond. We can choose how we live. Because if we hold on to God and we hold fast to his word and we make the choices that we believe will honor him, we can be the kind of church that is known as a church for their love and their faith and their perseverance and is doing even more things than when you first loved him or when we first came to know him. That we could take the good consequences of our relationship with God as seen in verses 18 through 19 in this chapter. And then add upon that the ability to be a city on a hill that can't be hidden. A light in a dark place. Someone who people can turn to when they know things are dark. Because there's a light in you that isn't based on your own ability. But it's because the same Lord who's the light of the world, the blazing fire, that God's fire is in each and every one of us. Well-intentioned choices may have unintended consequences, but we can make our choices so that we can pursue God and so others can come to know him as well. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, and I pray, Lord, that you stir within our hearts, whether it's a choice we need to make, whether it's a, a choice to handle things, circumstances beyond our control in a different way, whether it's a choice to acknowledge our own repent by date and say we haven't repented or or we repented a long time ago lord but we haven't done it recently and we need to do it frequently in order to spend eternity with you to be able to turn back and say lord i don't want to go in the false step i don't want to go somewhere where you aren't leading so jesus i pray that you who see and know our deeds you who have a blazing fire in your eyes would see and penetrate our hearts to get past our defenses, to get past the walls that we build up, to get past those things, that the masks that we put on uh, around other people to make it seem like we have it all together. But you look past all those things and speak to the very depths of our hearts and souls this weekend. That we could hear your voice calling us to you, calling us to hold on to you, calling us to hold fast to your word, and calling us to be a light to those around us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.